Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. I picture a open field where we are I have a gun slinged over my shoulder and we are going to the field and there's birds flying and he is living his happy moments. He is doing his job. I'm happy because I see him working. And um, yeah, it's basically just a big old open field, him running around. It's small, but to me it's a lot. Have you ever shot a bird that just keeps on flying and you're standing there saying, I swear I hit that bird? Well, good news. Maybe it might not be you, but rather your shotgun. Go check out UplandGunCompany.com and construct the perfect shotgun that is not only built to your exact physical specifications, but your preferred looks as well. To some people, a shotgun not only has to perform, but look good while doing it also. Upland Gun Company has made this process super convenient and surprisingly affordable when you consider all of the completely customizable features. Get your shotgun order submitted today so you're standing there with your dog saying fetch rather than standing there still saying, I couldn't have missed that bird. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another week of GDIY. This week, I am joined with a father-daughter combo. I am joined with Gregor Jezik and Taryn Schrock. Guys, how are you doing this evening? Good. How are you? I'm living the dream as always. Taryn, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Yep. Very excited. Yep. So, Gregor, you kind of reached out with uh, to me with this kind of unique episode idea. So, why don't you kind of go ahead and introduce yourself and kind of tell everybody what what we're here to talk about today? Well, um, so we live up in what uh, we're up in Canada in Kelowna, which is about five hours north of Spokane. So, to everybody down south, um, that's the northwest. For us being in Canada, that's the southwest, and uh, <clears throat> we hunt. Mostly big woods, pine, uh, a lot of versatile. We have a lot of game open at the same time, mule deer, elk, whitetail, black bear. And grouse has always been an extra critter for all of us. And we developed a passion for hunting grouse because I have children. We have uh, Terrence, one of four kids. And um, what we discovered when we got our bird dog was there's not a lot of direct resources for training up here. So I've been doing like a lot of people, self-training, podcasts, books, and uh you know, we can get into Alberta or, or and hunt, but that's eight, 10 hours away for the training days. 
And so I reached out to Nick with a few questions about versatile training and just extra tips and tricks. And we started this conversation. Yeah. And, and how so many of those conversations go with me as I'm answering questions or just interacting with listeners through the span of that conversation, we kind of come up with uh, a, a recording opportunity, so to speak. And so you kind of said something in that initial conversation that stuck out to me that you travel a lot for work, right? And so you're you're kind of on and off. And uh, but just because you're not at home and you, and you're not there to train your dog, that doesn't mean that the dog stops getting work. And that's when you you kind of clued me into Taryn being your your dog trainer, so to speak. Absolutely. So I, I do, I work a two week on shift in North, uh, the Northwest Territories. And so when we got offered the dog, I had to make a, a ensure that we could train the dog all the time. Cause I'm gone two weeks and I'm home two weeks. So it came down to Taryn. And so the deal was we can get the dog if Taryn commits to training when I'm out here and then we work together. So now we have, uh, you know, myself is only knows what I know from reading books and listening to podcasts trying to figure it out and teach my daughter who only knows what she knows from listening to me and listening to podcasts <laughs> and uh, train this dog through. So we have a good, useful, versatile hunting dog. Yep. Taryn, why don't you introduce yourself? I want to, I want to learn more a little bit about you and, and kind of what your, your father was saying. I want to hear a little bit more about your journey into figuring out how, where you found the information to get comfortable enough to take on this task of training a dog for the first time. Perfect. Well, when we first got Zord, I was very excited. I started looking up podcasts, YouTube, and that's kind of where it all started. I we start we went to a basic obedience class that was just down in Rutland. So I started that was with stay training, uh, come fetch. That was kind of the basic stuff. And then after his ten weeks was done. We came back home and that's when I started looking on YouTube and searching up the bow training, the fetch training, and that's kind of where it all began. So with podcasts, you kind of, I kind of hear like how they train their dogs and that's kind of what I, t I took in and that's my kind of like process of playing fetch with him in the backyard or in the back, in the front yard. And then putting all those things that I learned from YouTube and the podcast into his training. Yeah. So, so you're just piecemealing this together. You got, you go to an obedience course, you're getting comfortable, just kind of learning how to interact with the dog. And then you go home and you're kind of at a place that I think a lot of people can relate to, to where you're learning via podcasts and YouTube and everything. Is there a certain YouTube channel or something that really kind of helped you along? Was there one or did you just kind of blanket go across numerous channels or, or uh, it, t tell me about which one actually helped you. There was actually many. I, a lot of them was the books that he ordered off Amazon. I would go, I would get them and I would read through them at night after I was done schooling, school homework. And I, uh, there wasn't one that I really focused on. There was quite, a, there's quite many, but they, what I loved about them was there was so many different ways that they taught the training or somebody that taught it with treats, somebody that taught it with um, toys. So it was a lot of different perspective, let's say. Yeah. 
Gregor, what what were you going through? Like, were you helping guide her? Were you kind of sending her the books or the links of because it's ultimately it's I say it's your dog. Obviously, it's a family dog, but you, you're more or oh, less it's her dog. It, it's her dog. So it you, you know talk to me about like you get this dog and kind of relinquishing control almost to where you you're kind of envisioning this hunting dog for your entire family, but Taryn's ultimately taking the ball and running with it overall. That's absolutely it. So when I'm at work, uh, I go to work all day and I've got the evenings free to myself. I'm in an apartment. So I just podcast and YouTube like everybody else, right? Try and stay active and mentally challenged. So I got into uh, first the Birdshot podcast and that got me into the Gun Dog at Yourself podcast. And then I checked out a few more um, books by uh, Bob Owens and Rob Boheem and a few others. And every time I find something I like, I send a link to Taryn or uh, bookmark a page. When I come home, I leave you the books and I'll have all these, you know, try this and look at this and look at that. Cause I don't know any more than she does. So when I grew up, we had a Vishla, um, that we inherited from an uncle that passed away. And you're talking back in the nineties. So there was like one hunting book or two in the odd magazine. So I, well, I, I'm an avid hunter. I don't have any formal dog training myself either. So I'm learning, picking up what I like and then forwarding everything to my daughter. And then <laughs> we work through it together and then because uh, we do have a big family there's six of us it's also a matter of keeping uh ensuring that everybody else in the family uses the same controls don't ruin the dog by saying not 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 and say no no is no you know and it, it's it's a family effort but uh it's taryn definitely running the ball uh when i make the here try this and then she tries it and whatever works she feeds back to me and then i keep going down that avenue too perfect so with taryn taking over the training and, and with this obviously being the hunting dog that, that you're envisioning for your entire family, what was the entire family involved in the actual dog search or the breed selection? Walk, walk me through kind of how you guys put your heads together to come out with a wire hair Vishla because that's not a, the most common breed. It's growing in popularity, but I'm kind of intrigued on how you guys landed with the wire hair Vishla. So we got there, um, my family's Slovak, which is Slovakia is right next to Hungary. And I had an uncle way back in the day. He had a, he was the only hunter in the family. I'm an adult onset hunter myself. And uh, he had a smooth coat Vishla. And my uncle drowned in a uh, camping accident when I was 16. So all of a sudden I had a dog and a shotgun and a truck. And that sent me on a whole different life path. And um, so as I became an adult and had a family of my own, it was like, okay, now I'm ready for a hunting dog and sticking with what I knew, you know, that, that, uh, trying to connect the pieces to your youth. We we're like, okay, I'll get a Vishla. But then I discovered the rough coats and I just thought the, the look of them was so cool. And I was like, okay, I'll try and find a rough coat Vishla. And, uh, <clears throat> just through some minute searches being in Canada, of course, we're a little more remote, not as many breeders available. And I discovered, um, uh, Tanya Gates. And we started an email conversation and one day she had a litter and she had a pup available. And it was actually, I was traveling home from work for Christmas and got the phone call. I got a pup available. So a <clears throat> couple beers in at the airport and that's literally how it happened. That's awesome. So Taryn, like, were, were you really interested with with the aspect of training a dog before the dog got home. So like, were you involved in the actual planning process and were you just kind of getting fired up, kind of preparing for it all along? We were, he was talking about it and I was really, really excited, but I was kind of expecting it to, cause we already had two dogs at the time. So I was kind of 
thinking that we're going to get it later on. But when I got that, when we got that text message and my mom looks at her phone, she goes, oh no. <laughs> and I look at that phone and I'm like, there's, we got sent photos. And from that photo, I fell in love. That was the cutest dog. And yeah, I, I wasn't, I never knew the breed, the Vishla. I was, I never actually heard of it. <laughs> I've only heard stories from his past dog. And I could hear, I would, I love training dogs and we, we have dogs all the dogs that we've had in our house have been trained, but I was so excited to get the opportunity to train him. And it was my responsibility when the only, the only uh, thing why we got that dog was because if I said, if I took the training in, that was the only reason we would have gotten the dog if I would have trained it. Cause when he's not here, I had to train it. Right. And we, and we always talk about the importance of when somebody gets a dog that you have to have like that. You have to at first have that vision, that dream of what the dog is actually going to be and why you're getting it. So I'm curious when when this topic starts coming up and you guys as a family are starting to plan it, Taryn, like what are you envisioning as this finished dog so you can start piecing together like the path that you have to kind of form and go down to get this dog ready for it? A really good question, actually. Um, I envisioned a lot is what he told is basically us in the field and this dog running around and shooting over him. But I knew I never, I've never went down that path with training that kind of dog. It was just about like sit, stay, come. So I, I didn't really know what I saw because I didn't really know what the outcome would have been. So that's kind of step by step, let's say. Yep. So you're just picturing in your brain what you you're familiar with on these other dogs, which is just kind of basic obedience and everything. So Gregor, it really sounds like it was kind of your envision, uh, your vision to that really wanted this hunting dog. And so you you referenced at the start of this that you're really into the versatile hunting aspect of this, not just feather, but fur as well, uh, especially with where you live. And that's how we connected. So let's let's round that out a little bit for the listeners. Let's talk about the the hunting opportunities a little more in detail of what you have available to you and and what you're envisioning and your in at the end goal here with the dog. Yeah, so where we live, um, we have what we call crown land, which is public land, and we have a lot of it. It's mostly public land. <clears throat> and we have quite liberal uh, over-the-counter tag opportunities. You know, I can kill three deer in the province. Our black bear season is seven months long out of the 12-month year. Um, we have wolves, coyotes. Like We have every opportunity anybody could ever hope to have for hunting. And for us, it's just get your license and buy a tag. And because I spend so much time in the woods, because that's my happy place and I love hunting what's open, I wanted a dog that could accompany us. And if we're not blood tracking a coyote I shot, maybe we're chasing down snowshoe hares and, of course, uh, upland birds. Now, because we have so much deer and elk and moose and bear and everything else, typically around here, upland birds like grouse, and we have mostly where I live, like within a two-hour radius, you're talking rough grouse, spruce grouse. And if you get up into the alpine or subalpine, uh, blue grouse, but they're always uh, um, like an extra. I shot so many grouse off the side of a logging road with a single shot 22. You know, this last fall was the first time I ever shot uh, a grouse on the wing over a dog in my entire life. And I'm pushing 50, right? So it's just, I wanted that romance, that extra bit where I can do the whole experience. And, but whether I'm deer hunting or I'm going to go out and, you know, 
by early May, our bear hunting, black bear hunting is great. I want a dog that can be with me, help me scent the animal, track the animal. And if I have a shot and got to track it, I said track, but uh, follow it down for me. So I wanted that capital V versatile kind of in the German system. Now, never mind the upland bird bird training around here, trying to get any uh, good guidance for a true versatile dog. That's even a more obscure goal. And we'll get there. Like, you know, um, another uh, podcaster, I, um, he goes on about don't don't rush. You know, our dog has one season under his belt. Wait till season two or three. Like, be patient with the dog. Let him learn. He's out there learning all the sense, everything all at once, and uh, getting him that uh, separation. So if I put him on a track for a grouse, he knows he's grouse hunting. If it's middle of winter right now, we're looking for snowshoe hares. He knows he's going for snowshoe hare, and we're slowly getting there. It's actually it's amazing to see the uh, innate talent in the dog. Yeah. You know, because um, I can't imagine being in the woods without a dog or without my family. And that's what we do. So we wanted a dog that matched that, what my vision is in my head. Cause uh, I spent too many years reading books by, you know, Aldo Leopold and Jim Corbett and all the mountain men. And it, just, it built up this romance about being in the woods with your family, with your dog and doing all of it. Right. That's what I'm trying to complete is that vision of uh, it, it's yours. Just go get it. Mm. And, and you just sparked like 20 questions in my head. But first, I have to ask, like you said, it, it was about it took about 50 years for you to take your first grouse over on the wing over your, your own dog. Tell me yep. in comparison, can you can you even put into words what it felt like compared to just shooting one or sniping one with a 22 on the side of the road? Oh, it is such a difference. I mean, shooting grouse with a 22, it's a great way to bag 22. We all know it. If anybody's got resource roads around. Uh, they'll stand there and let you shoot four out of five, but uh, it's too clinical. It, it's it's meat getting, but to me, it doesn't have the thrill of the hunt. Doesn't have the magic. And you know, Taryn and I were actually up in some semi-alpine, up around five thousand feet elevation. Uh, we were together hunting, and yeah, there's a rifle in the back of the truck. It's just a big mule deer. They are open too, but it was all about okay. There's some grouse on the side of the road. Get the dog out and let him do the work, even if it means we miss the bird, because we want to enjoy the experience. And it was, I'm not a high-fiving kind of guy, but I was pretty skip when that dog <laughs> pointed the dog or the, the bird and it flushed and I dropped it with my old 16 gauge. And man, it was just awesome. That that that, that that's awesome. So Again, like you were just talking about the difference between a dog or, or a puppy in their freshman season versus their sophomore season. Taryn, what what are you doing with the dog when you guys are out hunting? Are you are you hunting and and preparing that dog with the sophomore season in mind? Are you kind of getting your command structure and and your consistency and routine in order this year? Kind of walk me through getting the dog out of the truck once you see the grouse on the road that gives your your dad that that really happy moment. I'm assuming that you're just as ecstatic as he was. I know we do take turns. So yes, the, that turn, it was mine. So I took him out of the truck and I got him focused on the bird and, uh, he started pointing. <laughs> and then, uh, when I looked at Greg and he was ready, I let him I go in and he, he flushed the bird. And I was, I was very happy. I was ecstatic because I finally realized that all the work we have done paid off and it was an amazing feeling, even though I did not shoot the dog that I... The bird. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you didn't shoot the dog. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no. But I shot, 
I have to shoot the bird. I worked with that dog and the teamwork we had really showed that really uh, showed through. But um, I was, yeah, it was a, it was a beautiful moment. So we keep calling that the dog. What's the dog's name? I, I need to, I don't know if you said it already or not, but what's the dog's name? His name is Zord. Zord, that's right. How old was Zord at this moment? Uh, 14 months. 14, okay. 14 months, so yeah, a year and change. All right. So walk me through 14 months. You know, you're, you're approaching a year and a half. That's a pretty good age to be getting out in the woods and getting a lot of first out of the dog. Uh how was he handling the rest of the season? Was this like really the the one and only contact or or how did he handle the rest of the trips and, and efforts to chase and bag some game? Well, we started actually because we have a, again, liberal hunting season. So we started, um, I would always take the dogs in the woods, in the woods just to walk with me in bear season or shed hunting. Um, and then by August, we have snowshoe hare season. So we go out and look for snowshoe hares. And his first, uh, his first couple of retrieves were actually rabbits, you know, and here he is a one-year-old pup and he get excited and not know what to do. So we just coach him through the moment. He'd point the shot rabbit, didn't want to pick it up. So we just do the force fetch routine, right? Take that training we learned uh, on YouTube or podcasts that we're doing in the front yard. And we brought it out in the field and just praise the heck out of him for just holding the rabbit in his mouth. And then he didn't, wasn't too keen on the rabbits as much, but as soon as he got his first grouse in his mouth, he, it was like a switch went off, you know, but as far as general exposure, I kind of always got the dogs with me in the woods. But the only time I won't take a dog in the woods is like in the middle of the deer rut. When I know I'm going to go on a sit, then I leave the dogs at home. Other than that, I'm spotting stock or I'm um, still hunting anyway. Dogs are with me. I got leashes because we can't run deer here. So I just make sure the dogs leash and his exposure level to the to the wilderness was already quite high, even for a pup. Mm. And so you 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 guys said earlier that when you were looking at for the pup, that you guys already had two dogs in the house. Are these hunting dogs as well, or is is Zord the first hunting dog, and the other two are just your companion pet dogs, part of the family? They were, yeah. We've always had family dogs like mutts. Um, so Zord is the first real hunting dog I've ever had since I was a teenager. And even when I had that original smooth coat, I didn't hunt. You know, I grew up outside of Vancouver, British Columbia, and I had a dog and no hunting. Like I said, we started hunting um, when I was an adult and moved up to Kelowna. So, yeah, Zord's our first real hunting dog. And one of our mutts, and I mean that with respect, like it's a good companion dog. She recently passed away. So our other dog right now is a three-year-old Irish wolfhound. Okay. He is a beast. He's 190 pounds. And I tell you, if you want to have fun, uh, try force fetching a dog with jaws bigger than your head. <laughs> so, so you actually force fetch the Irish wolfhound? Trying to. Um, he he gets excited seeing us train our hunting dog, and so we've been giving more attention to him with extra training, and he just loves it. Like they, dogs want that connection with you. They want to please you, so you please them by helping them out. You know? Yeah. I'm curious. So, like, do you have? You just you just want a second dog out there that'll go retrieve if you need it. I mean, it helps when you have a ten foot tall dog that can go through the snow like that for you. But that's just you just kind of blew my mind on that. I wasn't ready for an Irish Wolfhound image on the table doing some force fetch. I, I wasn't ready for that one. <laughs> well, you, you don't need the table. Uh, <laughs> all right, he, he comes up to my waist. I'm six foot two on all fours. So, um, uh, yeah, it's neat. He's a great companion dog in the woods. He listens 
beautifully. And uh, him watching Zord work his nose and work stuff has actually brought out more instinct out of the Irish wolfhound. And it's it's an odd combination. Uh, my wife loves the super giant breeds. I, I like the 60 pounders myself. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm always in the woods. If I'm just going for a hike, I bring both dogs and uh, they, they do what they're told. Yeah. It's great. That's that's really interesting. One of my uh, mentors when I got into this, you if you've been listening to us, you've probably heard the episodes or the references to uh, Old Timer Bill, OTB. He, uh, yeah. it, his family, they have a Sheltie that has uh, grown accustomed to grouse hunting as well. So so he's got a little flushing uh, squirrel dog, Sheltie, that just, just by yeah. taking them in the woods with them and watching the setters do their thing, they they just kind of naturally develop their own drive for, for the hunt, so to speak. Absolutely. And one thing I've learned just having companion dogs is if you can learn to read your dog, they will show you things in the woods that you don't even know are there. Right. Yeah. You know? I, I agree with that. Terrence, are, are, you, are you the one force-fetching the Irish wolfhound as well? Uh, sometimes. I My main focus is on Zord right now. Okay. I'm just trying to... We have a, um, a competition in a month in April. So trying to uh, rewind his head, I guess. Let's try to... Because winter was a cold winter. So it was just kind of getting out for walks. It wasn't a lot of training. So trying to... Um, get his fetch going again but uh nope that's all that's all him i ain't opening that dog's mouth <laughs> those teeth are as long as my finger that is uh-uh yeah and for context like where we live um down in the valley where we live we'll still get a couple feet of snow and we'll hit minus 10 celsius minus 15 celsius for all the places we deer hunt because it's a valley so everything where you hunt is uh rises in elevation quickly so our, our minimum elevation for hunting is like four thousand feet so you go from a foot of snow in the yard to three feet in the logging roads, just like that, mm. you know, and uh, it does, it makes it hard. There's no water work in the winter for us. It's a bit of snowshoeing, chasing snowshoe hares. We have uh, all the cats are available with over the counter tags. So I do take them out predator hunting, but um, they're not hounds. They're not running down a cat. You'd have to, you'd have to get a really fresh track and, and, but it's still, it's the exercise. So the exercise maintains all year, but um, like Terrence said, He's got a Canadian Kennel Club event coming up, and we need to, now that the snow is gone, get him out in the woods and do a refresher, you know, get yeah. him ready for that. And then it's that fitness level is always there, but now we're getting to, the birds are out again. Everything's come back, but we lose a big window where we're not hunting, we're not practicing on ducks or chucker or grouse because they're just not here or they're buried under two feet of snow because grouse will burrow, um, if anybody doesn't know. And I, I got Zord onto some, you know, seeing your dog dig through three feet of powder after a grouse scent is a, a really neat thing to see. But it, it's 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 a different style of hunting up here because it's high mountain, high plateau, a lot of pine forest, tight. And uh, those grouse know that all they got to do is go about three feet and you can't even see them because the woods are so thick you can't swing a shotgun. Mm. I, I keep saying one of the experiences on one of my bucket lists is I, I want to shoot a snow-roosted rough grouse. I want to see one that comes out of the out of the snow and, and you know, slow-mo. And, and I know that it's not the most attractive style hunting. You know, you referenced the snowshoes earlier, which surprises me. I figured y'all would just ride the Irish wolfhound in on horseback or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
So l- let's talk about Zord. What's what's this competition? Is it an actual trial coming up or is it a, a hunt test? Kind of walk me through what the Canadian Kennel Club offers you guys up there in terms of dog activities and trials and stuff. So uh, we have a, a province-wide British Columbia All-Pointers Club and they do set up training days and their CKC tests. And uh, so Zord will be doing his field dog junior test. He's passed two. He gets his third one. And then he gets his ribbon and uh, his certificate that he's, he's done that. And it's a it's great because it's a lot like the American Kennel Club. Very similar tests, different than the NAVDA. Um, so it's all field work. There's no water work at this level. And we also, we did do a NAVDA test up in Alberta last spring where the dog was great, except he didn't swim. Okay. But again, he's had limited water work because that exam or exam, that test was in May. And we only had ice off our lakes in April. Right. And even right. in May, that, that water's probably still a bit chilly, would be my guess. Oh, I was walking out into the lake in my swim trunks in April and May. Very, very cold just to get the dog out there. <laughs> I was about Too to say, water. living up there, you even have swim trunks. That's impressive. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, that's beauty where we live. We get all four seasons. Like I said, it'll be minus 20 in the winter and plus 40 Celsius in the summer. Wow. That's that's yeah. awesome. So. So you you went through the NA uh, test in, in NAVDA, so di- didn't swim. Uh, I, is that going to limit you guys in, in as far as maybe taking the next step in NAVDA, doing the utility test or something? Or will that, during the summer, do you think you'll eventually have enough opportunity to train a duck search or anything like that? Do you have any desire to do that, I guess I, sh- I should start with first? Absolutely. (laughs) Taryn's looking at you. I'm like, you're the dog trainer. I'm asking you. (laughs) No, uh, yes. My, um, when we have, uh, like I said, there's a very hard getting him in the water, but my aunt has a place in salmon arms. That's kind of where we do all the training where it's kind of like a boat launch. So we spend hours out there working with the bumpers, throwing them out there. But yes, I am looking forward to doing the duck searches in the water and stuff just uh getting his butt in water first getting him used to it is plan a a challenge we're not over a major flyway but we have a lot of high mountain lakes and they do hold duck and geese in the early fall where we can still hunt them okay taryn's gateway into hunting was actually goose hunting uh in um, wheat fields a couple hours south of us at a friend of mine's place where she was the bird dog because she was eight or nine years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's don't worry. We've all fetched our fair share of ducks. That's that's uh that's why you're forced fetching an Irish wolfhound. You're like, I'm not doing that again. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm I'm curious when you talk about so many people get these dogs and these versatile breeds and they'll do NAVDA, they'll do the German system, but then they kind of. I don't know if look down on is the right phrase, but that's what I'm going to roll with is they kind of almost look down at a lot of people that shoot fur, whether it's squirrel, rabbits, fill in the blank with their versatile dogs. They say it takes something away from their drive or desire to search and find birds. Uh, have you noticed any difference in Zord as you guys kind of go out, explore the woods, and you kind of take whatever opportunities you guys have? Have you seen that change how he hunts different games at different spots in the forest ultimately, I guess? is like Have you seen his search when you're actually out there targeting grouse change compared to how uh, you guys are looking for rabbits, I guess? 
I'm going to say no. I've, I've seen that in all the reading I've done in the podcast. Absolutely, there's upland bird purists, and that's great. We don't live in that environment, so I'm not worried about achieving that level because it would restrict so much of their hunting. Um, I think the dog, Zorg, understands the difference, but I also let him know what the difference is. If we're hunting grouse um, and he starts to get into a deer track, I just correct him. And he goes, oh, okay. And it, I, I don't, I have not seen anything where it's negative because he's going after fur or feathers one day to the next. He's so eager to hunt and he just wants guidance. And I think he understands it as much as a dog can understand it. You know, there's not much grouse this time of year. They're burrowed, they're up high. And if we're going to get on a coyote track or a cat track he, or a rabbit, I just point to the track I want him to chase down and he starts sending it out and following it, searching it up. Mm. So, so really, no, you guys don't have any distinguishing differences as far as routine, as far as gear, like maybe what you put on them, maybe a harness or a collar or something just to let him know, hey, today we're targeting this specific game. And then the next day, you know, maybe you, you want to go chase something else. So you kind of start off a different way. Ultimately, you just kind of go in the woods, you find a track that you want to go after, and you're just like, hey, go after that. Pretty much. Yeah. He wears the same uh, harness all the time. He wears a, uh, a tracking collar because I, I did lose him for a couple hours one afternoon in some thick woods. And that was terrifying. And uh, but again, he was this was his first season. Right. He's 14 months old and he must have take off after a, uh, a deer track or something. And I was looking for grouse. So I hold steady. Right. And use my whistle. And I, he came back. Right. Don't don't freak out people. If you lose your dog in the woods, they know where you are. Just call them and let them come back to you. So you didn't have a tracking collar at that time. You're just you're just hoping that he comes back to where he, you last were. It, yeah, I, I made a mistake and I went and bought a tracking collar that afternoon when <laughs> I got home. I was so worried I'd lost the dog. I mean, I wasn't any place remote per se, but I didn't have cell phone coverage. You know, I would have had to leave the spot drive a half hour down the road, call for help, go back. And uh, threw out the tracking collar then. And since then, I haven't lost them once, coincidentally. Like, not even, I don't even turn it on half the time. The collar's on, I leave the, I leave the handheld unit off so I don't burn the batteries up. Mm. That's interesting. So you don't have a problem if, if Zord is out there running around in the woods or something like that. You don't have a problem with the connection of the handheld to the collar if you turn it on later like say he's you know 70 yards out searching for game uh you turn it on you haven't had a problem with the uh the handheld not connecting to the collar no different than even if i have them on all the time if i'm in thick thick timber with no clear line of sight i can lose the signal anyway so all i have to do is make sure that the collar is on and then i got to get into a, a relatively clear opening and that signal comes back just like any gps unit um, like I said, we have some pretty thick timber we're in and you can lose signal and it's, uh, yeah, don't rely on just electronics folks. Make sure you know where you're at and take a compass reading now and again, see which way at least the truck is. <laughs> well, that's, that's a big vote in Taryn's favor for you to sit there and trust her, her recall in, in, uh, Zord to come through and, and that he's going to come back. Taryn, walk me through 
again, you're going back, you're, you're doing all the obedience, you're doing the bulk of the training while, while uh, Greg is gone at, at work. What's your routine like with, with Zord? And, and walk me through the steps. Did you just start with the typical crate, then recall, you know, the normal stuff that we do? And uh, But ultimately, I'm curious about your routine, especially with where you guys live, with all the challenges you've already said w- with pertaining to weather. Yeah, that's basically where we started. So my routine is I leave for school. Um, I come back around 3.30. Uh, I do now in spring, I'm starting sports. So I have soccer four times a week. So that's a lot. Um, so Friday is kind of my full day training for him, but there's also homework. So I have like an hour homework. So some days it is like 10 to 15 minutes of training. And then I am physically done, Yeah. <laughs> but um, also have like other days where it's like an hour or two hours of training. But um, yeah, like you said, it is, it started where it was crate training and fetch training. So you, you guys didn't have a, a tracking collar until later. Were you doing anything with the e-collar? Was that something that you included in your training program and routine? We did. Uh, Yes, I we did uh, get a beep collar. Uh, it is perfect. I beep it once, the buzzer, and uh, he comes back. Uh, we also rely on a whistle. That is kind of our main, our main thing because in competitions you cannot use beep collars. So I didn't want him to kind of stick to that. But uh, yeah, if, if I'm anywhere, his one beep and he's like he turns around and comes right back. So with not having the um, the collar because I don't take them in the woods because I I cannot drive by myself yet. Yeah. So massive grass field, probably three kilometer walk from my house there. So sometimes I take them over there and we just run along. He just runs along the field and picks up all the scent. And if I see another dog, one beep and he comes right back. So exactly. Yeah, that the beep collar has helped a lot. I'm curious with other, let's put, you know, 15, 16 year old teenagers that might be listening to this. Maybe they're in the truck or car with their parents. If they're not interested in it directly, maybe they want to try their hands at training their own dogs. I want to hear your perspective on what it was like figuring it out uh, your own way. And then what's the what's the biggest lesson or advice or tip that you would give somebody to to do it and try it their own way, just like you've kind of done for for you and Greg. I've actually thought about this a lot, but um, I honestly did not know what I was going into. I I had some great like Tanya Gates. She helped me out a lot, but it was all about books and podcasts. But really, what I would say is because a lot of pressure was also on because I didn't want to. Uh, mix up the dog I didn't want to give him the wrong hand signals but I also had to trust myself and my dog because what I also learned is I look at videos and these people their dog is pointing it is flushing it is uh, retrieving perfectly and Zord at that point wasn't doing that but I also had to recognize that those dogs are like six years old this dog is only 14 months so it's kind of just taking trusting yourself and asking for that um, guidance, asking if you're doing the right thing and don't be afraid to ask, like always ask questions. And if somebody says, Hey, try this, try it. 
don't be like, oh, I'm not, it's my way. No, try it. It, it helps so much. Like when I went to, um, NAVDA, I met amazing people. I, uh, some ladies helped me out too, but, um, I was nervous and they just said, just breathe. Like your dog knows what he's doing. Just trust your training and he will do amazing. And he did. I was very proud. Yeah. So I want to hear some observations from you. You're working this dog based on YouTube videos and podcasts, but there's something different in that compared to actually putting your hands on dogs and actually doing it. So were there any revelations or breakthroughs while you're working with Zord that you're noticing, hey, when I time this better, the Zord responds better to me? Or or were you using treats? Like, was there any tricks or tips that you figured out on your own? Not a shortcut, but something that really allowed you to connect with Zord and communicate exactly what you're trying to uh, get across to him, if that makes any sense at all. I I did use treats at the beginning, but then I started to uh, realize he started relying on them. So when I would uh, play fetch with him, he would get a treat after. And when he didn't, he would just walk away. And I did not like that. So what we started doing was I started uh, having a designated play toy where he would get to play, like have a little play session after that training. And we would have a little play session and he would only get that toy after he's done like a good uh, 15, 20 minutes of time of work. And um, then I kind of started to like realize that he was excited to train because he knew there was something after that session. And he was, that's kind of when I started to realize that uh, he did so much better. He was, he was happy to train. Like, you know, when there's a dog that puts his head down and he starts running off the toy, he was all like, his butt was wiggling. He was sprinting there and back. He does this little jump thing when he, uh, when he gets his toy, he started getting his groove back in. But yeah, I started to, um, a designated toy really helped me because then it's kind of his prize, let's say. Yeah. He knows that he gets to clock in, go to work, and afterwards he gets to have fun. You know, a lot of people, yeah. that that's a very important lesson. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you already picked up on that because a lot of people, you know, they'll finish up their training session and just go put the dogs up. And there, there are a lot of dogs that that's fine with. It doesn't affect them one way or the other. But to your point, there's some to where they, they need that, that, finish line or or something to look forward to after the actual work uh, when they clock out. So that's that's really neat that you picked up on that and realized that, you know, he directly, his energy level completely changes just based on that. Yeah. So where are we at with Zord? I mean, you got the, the competitions and stuff coming up, but Greg, you, you, you got this dog, you got Zord to hunt. So what are the plans and hopes and dreams this upcoming fall? Because like you, like we've already talked about, difference in freshman and sophomore season. So do you guys have a lot of plans and, and hopes for him this year? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I'm constantly keeping notes for myself, like places I want to hunt or if I spot grouse or, you know, you want to map out your good areas. And uh, our goal this year, because we didn't meet it last year, is blue grouse, which means we got to head into some alpine, which means more hiking, which is great, more fitness for all of us. So it'll be walk-in, subalpine, uh, blue grouse, and big rough grouse over the dog. That That is the big goal this year. And then if we can, it'd be nice to uh, find a couple small lakes that we can get into ducks. Because uh, I, I miss having a field where we could goose and 
goose and duck hunt. So we got to switch it up to Alpine lakes and we'll do that too. Yeah. Right. So it's park the truck, walk a few K just to start hunting and then get after it. Yeah. Now talk to me about dream hunts, Taryn. Is there something that you just have a dream hunt, whether it's realistic or not? I don't care if it's within your area or, or this year, but something that when you picture you and Zord out there, you know, out on the prairie, out in the desert, something. What what comes to mind when it's Taryn's dream hunt with Zord? I picture a open field where we are. I have a gun slinged over my shoulder, and we are going to the field, and there's birds flying, and he is living his happy moments. He is doing his job. I'm happy because I see him working, and um, yeah, it's basically just a big old open field, him running around, and. Uh, yeah. So that's, it's small, but to me, it's a lot. Yeah. So it doesn't even matter what type of bird to you. You just, no. just feel, do you, you just want Zord to be happy chasing birds? Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, that is exactly. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's easy, Greg. You're definitely going to have to make that happen for the, this year. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I, I made a few contacts, uh, trying to get some Southern Alberta stuff set up where you can hunt pheasant and just, and meet that goal. Right. Or, I think they might have some sage grouse, grouse down there also. We do have chucker around, but the problem is that where the good chucker country is, you're right on the edge of farmer's fields and city limits and public land. Mm. And uh, so I, I tried to chase some chucker last year. It was a couple hours north of me, and it snowed like a foot and a half the day before, but I went anyway, and I busted a few grouse up, but uh, it was just a good experience, so... Some steep mountain chucker. I like to sweat and earn it yeah. because mountains will be too steep for me. So I want to get it in while I can. Yep. I've never personally hunted uh, Canada yet. So kind of give me a, 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 a quick overview of the hunting landscape in Canada. You mentioned public land. So obviously you guys have some public land opportunities there, but what are kind of the opportunities around there? Is it kind of like uh, the U.S. and how they have their public land? You just go buy a license and you're and you're free to go based on most places or, you know, what what's the access like for you? Access is pretty good. Um, if most of our provinces, which is the same as the state, um, uh, for large game or big game, you typically need to be guided. But for small games, such as upland birds, you can buy an over-the-counter license, you pay a little more, and then you just go on public land. And like I said, we have, we're mostly public land. And so that way it's really good. Um, where we live, there's not a very strong gun culture. So asking a farmer for permission, it can be kind of a block. But if, if you're gonna come up to Canada and bird hunt, you're probably gonna go to Southern Alberta, Southern Saskatchewan, somewhere like that too. So we're on the west of the Rockies. You get into Alberta, Saskatchewan, you're north of Montana into the Badlands, um, same kind of terrain, and you get the pheasant and the grouse, and you can pretty much show up. The hard part for an American showing up is uh, getting that firearm across the border, right? We have very strict, um, getting political, kind of ridiculous gun laws, a lot like California. <laughs> So, you, you know, it, it, if you know somebody where you can go to a retreat and borrow a gun, it's probably easier than importing a shotgun up over the border, even for something as simple as bird hunting. But southern Alberta, southern Saskatchewan, southern Manitoba are going to have the ducks and the geese and the pheasant and the grouse and the chuckers that most everyone listening is going to want to get after. Awesome. Um, as far as blue grouse, rough grouse, 
you know, anywhere near the Rockies, whether it's Western Alberta or in British Columbia, where we live, we have all those opportunities. Like, um, I think when we talked earlier, you know, I know people, I've heard of people that never shot a rough grouse. Those are half the critters I've shot. You know? <laughs> For us, rough grouse are mixed in with the spruce grouse and uh, the blue grouse are just a little bit higher. You know? Yeah. We don't have pheasant per se. Um, we do have some chucker, though it's pretty limited. And where we live directly, it's not a flyway, so you don't get good duck and geese. We've got more uh, um, resident duck and geese. And in the middle of winter, they live down in the valleys and the cities. But in this late summer, early fall, they will transgress out in the public land if you can find the right lake at the right time. Because nice. we don't have the fields where we live. It's all forest. Gotcha. Well, it's really intriguing. I mean, obviously, you reached out with a couple questions, and then here we are recording an episode just because you obviously, you know, sparked my interest, which is is not hard to do in the, in the dog world per se. But you know, when you start talking about ver- first versatile hunting, that's that's something that sparks my interest because of reasons we already discussed. But then the fact that you guys are doing this as a family, and so that 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 was really intriguing to me. And and I'm curious if you guys are already a talking about a second dog and then b has the uh has the training love and and routine taryn has that kind of rubbed off on any of your siblings or mom perhaps to where maybe that second dog you have a little bit of help training as well my mom is not so keen about getting another um versatile dog because he is a bundle of energy right uh we are getting my two younger brothers to start helping out because, like I said, I do have four out of five uh, soccer days and soccer practices. So that takes me through hours of school and soccer. So with them, um, yes, to answer your question, yes, we are getting uh, the boys to help. But um, we are hoping when Zord is about four yeah four we're wanting to get another versatile dog we don't know what kind we want but um yeah but that's kind of where we're heading we just need to get my mom on board so <laughs> well and being a family like it admittedly it's, it's a lot of effort so it's not just about getting my wife on board it's we got to prove that we're using the dog to its fullest ability and we're not just having an expensive high energy lab dog right i mean they're an asset you're going to use them or why would you get a second one just because and so uh taryn's younger brothers they're 10 and 9 so at 10 years old you can hunt where we are um her middle brother who's well he'll be 11 soon he did shoot some grouse this year uh not over the dog uh he's not that good on the wing with the 410 but you know we're getting them engaged the kids have been out there picking up grouse for me and deer hunting in the backpack since they're old enough to hold the head up and uh, her youngest brother will be 10 in November and he's already expressed interest that like, yes, he wants to hunt. Even if it's late season, I was out shooting clays with my brother-in-law yesterday. Radic was with us and he was aiming the shotgun and shooting at still clays. He actually shot one for, t- he shot one clay, uh, flying with the 410. So anybody out there, if your kids are nine or 10, they can hold the gun, get them in there, get them used to it. Like it's never too early to get exposure and build that fun. Yeah. Right. Make it fun, just like we do for the dogs. Build that passion, and I, I think that's key for getting kids involved. I believe you have young kids. You know, get them out there, get them in the stroller, get them in the backpack. Um, I've always split it up. I have serious hunts. You know, where I'm out there after a whitetail or a mule deer, and I have hunts where it's like, okay, let's just go in the woods, and if we see something great, and if we don't, hey, what's that? Hey, what's this over here? Oh, look, we scooped that deer. Maybe we should practice being quieter. 
or that kind of stuff and build the passion for being outdoors and independent. I love it. I mean, you, you, you're speaking my language there and, and don't think I haven't noticed that you're setting yourself up pretty clean here, Greg. You got Taryn, the dog trainer, and then you got your boy already smoking clays with a 410. You got the gunner right there. You just need somebody to cook your birds for you, and then you don't even have to go out there with them, right? <laughs> I'm telling you, if you breast out a grouse in the fingers and bread them and deep from and bacon fat, grouse fingers are fantastic. Spruce grouse can be pretty gamey, takes it all out, and they disappear in a heartbeat. Yeah. I love it. Well, is there anything else that uh, that we just need to touch on before we wrap this up? Because, I mean, obviously you guys have some really interesting stories already, but, uh, you know, we've kind of covered a lot of ground here. Is there anything that you guys were kind of looking to touch on before we uh, wrap this one up? I, I think it's important just to everybody, you know, regardless of who your kids are, where you live, you can do it. Um, it's a slower process for us, right? We're in the city. The woods are only 20 minutes away, but we can't even shoot a training rifle or training cap gun in our backyard. The cops would be on us. So it's a piecemeal, slow process. We work a lot with that positivity, that reward. You know, that the, when you're, if you're not feeling embarrassed about giving your dog enough love, you know, you're not giving him enough love yet. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think if, if we can do it and you just tune it to your own and take what works, like Taryn said, and uh, if it doesn't work for you, try something different. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Uh, I love that message. And guys, I appreciate you taking the time to come on and share your story. I really enjoyed it. And uh, for the listeners, stick around for the uh, outro here and uh, we'll check back next week. I appreciate your time. Thank you. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that episode presented by Standing Stone Supply, DT Systems, Onyx Hunt, and Final Rise. Uh, this was kind of a neat little uh, subject or guess. I, I, I enjoy getting people on that kind of go about things a, a, a different way, and especially when they're in a different region or different area. It's it's always foreign to me to kind of get the perspective of other people and Gregor and Taryn. Uh, when he reached out, he's he's a Patreon uh, patron, and he reached out with some messages asking questions, and it just kind of intrigued me a little bit the fact that he has kind of a uh, the work schedule that keeps him going in and out of the home, but they're they're not losing any ground in terms of training their dog, and and it just goes to show that no matter what your situation is, if you can kind of get creative figure out what works for, for you and your family and your situation, and uh, you have some shared goals that are aligned with with other people, you guys can kind of make things happen, whether you're there or not. So it's, it, you know, one size doesn't fit all when it comes to training dogs, and, and not everybody's situation or even resources are the same. So I think this was a, a good reminder that if even with just a, an abnormal or a, not even abnormal, but a different situation, you can you can still make it work if you want to. So uh, I hope somebody kind of got some ideas here. I thought it was great. The fact that uh, they had such shared interests and goals as a family and they all come together and circle around that dog. And, and that's kind of the catalyst that allows them to have activities 
uh, to do as a family out in the outdoors. It's it's fantastic, and and uh, I think a lot of people can kind of share that sentiment ultimately. Um, but yeah, hope hope hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Uh, moving on, I'm not going to keep you too too long on this week's outro. Uh, let's just jump on into Patreon. If you guys enjoy what we do here at GDIY, if we bring any value to you at all, if we've given any tips or, or guests or topics that have kind of helped you along, please consider joining Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog it yourself. Uh, it's a completely voluntary contribution to the show. Uh, in return for that contribution, contribution you get uh such things as uh we just did our first zoom room for uh patrons where we just kind of come on and and just kind of kick it and and talk about recent episodes that any questions any follow-up any thoughts suggestions uh we talked a lot about dog training i got to pick the the brains of the patrons on what they prefer to see in terms of content and subjects and youtube videos and stuff like that so it was really rewarding for me as a host to kind of uh, get feedback directly from people. So if, if you're listening to this and, and you find value in this this show and you want to start contributing more, then uh, consider signing up. And, and you also get other bonus content, such as my monthly ep- episodes with Nick Larson. Uh, we have certain giveaways like the Onyx Hunt giveaway membership that we're going to be doing every single month. And there's a, a couple more that are that uh, hopefully are in the works. It seems like that they're there, but uh, a couple more steps before I can announce them. And then uh, the extended outros, for the most part, unless I'm out of town or just life is too crazy, I try to do these extended outros to where I pick a topic or or a, uh, a patron kind of gives me a topic that they're interested in, and I give you know my thoughts and, and stuff on that in an extended format. So uh, if that appeals to you or is interesting to you at all, please consider, again, the link is patreon.com forward slash yourself. And besides that, there's there's other ways that you can help the show and, and uh, contribute back to the show. And that's the stuff like follow us on social media, leave a rating and review. And really the biggest help that you can do is just share the episode, whether it's through the direct link on Apple, Spotify, whatever, or you see it on social media, just hit share that. That really helps us out. Uh, and, and grow so I appreciate that that being said again I'm not going to keep you guys too much longer we have a lot of good shows that are already recorded in the bank I'm excited to get to you guys and and can't wait to share them with you but for now just thanks for uh, checking in on this one hitting download and hitting play it means the world to us and uh, we'll check back next week thanks guys thank you for listening to GDIY if you enjoy this podcast please remember to take a moment to rate review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. 
Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.